Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Well, welcome to church. Those of you that are in the room, those that are online, and welcome to May. Justin Timberlake has been warning us that it's coming, and now it's here. And if you don't get that, we'll just move right on. Uh, While we're at it, I I like on the first Sunday of May to just get it all out of the way. So happy May Day, uh, happy early Cinco de Mayo, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, may the 4th be with you. I don't know why, but for some reason this month we just like pack in all these random holidays into one thing. So Celebrate and have fun and remember the goodness of God through it all. Um, And again, as Austin and Shiloh shared with you earlier, I do want to encourage you, if you've not yet registered for our men's and women's gatherings, that's Monday nights for the women, uh, 6 to to 7.30 men. Apparently, we're meeting for four hours every Wednesday morning. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, If that wasn't clear, it's one hour, four times uh, through the month of May. Um, And we love to have you there. Uh, There's going to be donuts and coffee in the morning for the guys. Uh, For the ladies, we'll have a meal provided Uh, before the the time starts at 6.30. So uh, as we continue our series, we're in one another. um, And I don't always do this, but man, I got to give a shout out to to William for the message that he shared last week on forgiveness. My goodness. Um, I don't know that I've ever heard more response of people going, man, that was the message I needed to hear. Um, And so uh, William, thank you for for bringing that last week. This week, we're going to continue in the theme of one another. We're going to look at the the attribute of compassion, compassion. If you notice last week in William's text uh, that, that the writer, Paul, says that we are to put on compassionate hearts. And so we're going to kind of pick up where we left off there and look at compassion. And we're going to do that through the lens of one of Jesus's most famous stories. I'll, I'll tell you that in just a second. Luke chapter 10 is where we'll be. We'll have it on the TV screen behind me. And also uh, you can follow along in scripture or on a, on a Bible app if you have one. Luke chapter 10 the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Even if you are not accustomed to attending a church, even if this is the first time you've come in, you've probably heard the expression Good Samaritan. It is widely known and yet often maybe not really well understood. In fact, I don't know that I've ever preached on this passage in Luke chapter 10. So uh, let me dive in. Luke chapter 10 verses 25 to 28. I'm going to Uh, just offer a few observations on the verses that set up the story of the Good Samaritan. And then we're going to spend the remainder of our time there in the story. Luke 10, verses 25 to 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now this, these words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In the other gospel narratives, these are words spoken by Jesus. So it's quite possible that this lawyer is just saying back to Jesus, repeating back to Jesus something he's heard Jesus himself say. But I want to make two observations. Number one is the motive behind the question that's asked. You caught it, right? It says that he asked him this question, why? To put him to the test. 
This was not a sincere inquiry on how to be saved. This was not a a genuine question regarding eternal life. This lawyer is trying to ensnare Jesus or trap him with the question. The word that is there in Greek is the word ekperazo. It actually is mostly translated as the word tempt. That, That has a different connotation, right? A test is a little bit different than a tempt. In fact, Two of the other three times it's used in the New Testament, it's when Satan is tempting Jesus in the wilderness. So we're getting a really clear idea. This lawyer is coming not as an ally, but as an adversary to the work and the ministry of Jesus. He's cloaking it in spiritual conversation, but his heart is not right. He does not come to Jesus looking for understanding, although he calls him teacher. He doesn't come looking for salvation, although he asks about eternal life. He's coming to try to discredit the work that Jesus is doing. The second observation I have is the response to the question. Jesus says something very interesting. And and you might know this about Jesus. He often enjoyed answering a question with a question of his own, right? So the question comes and Jesus responds, what is written in the law? How do you repeat it? And this lawyer, again, repeats the words that Jesus himself had said, which is a summary of the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments were understood as being vertical, loving God, and the last six of the Ten Commandments were understood to be horizontal, loving people. And so Jesus is going to say to him, yeah, that's right, you've given the correct answer, check. And then verse 28, he adds, do this and you will live. Now what strikes me as a person who is saved by the grace of Jesus, by grace through faith, is that Jesus seems to be saying, observe the law and you'll have eternal life. So we've got to ask the question, is that really what Jesus means? And one of the things that you do when you come up to a place in scripture that you go, man, is that, can that be right? That doesn't sound like what I've been taught. What you do is you go to other scripture to check it. Let's do that right now. Romans chapter three, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Galatians 3.10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of law and do them. In other words, you're not ever going to inherit eternal life by fulfilling the law. But why does Jesus say, do this and you will live? What I think Jesus is doing is actually demonstrating our inability to fulfill the law. If I were to tell you that by swimming 1,000-ish miles, you could arrive at the island of Puerto Rico, I would be telling you the truth. I would also be telling you something you can't do. Does that make sense? He's like, yeah, yeah, all you got to do is perfectly love God and perfectly love people all the time, all the people, every moment of your life until you die. If you do that, you're good to go. To which the man, if he's smart and humble or either one, he's going to go, but I can't do that. Did you know that is the purpose that God gave us the law? Not so we could look at it and go, wow, look what a good person I am, but to go, but that's not possible. And Jesus says, right, that's where I come in. So I want to make those two observations. These are going to set up the story of the, what we know as the story of the Good Samaritan. By the way, this lawyer, I think, understood Jesus's point, even though it's, it's, it's not direct. Look at verse 29, Luke 10, 29, this response. 
But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, this is really interesting to me because what this lawyer is instinctively doing is going, let's negotiate the terms here a little bit. (laughs) If I got to love my neighbor, every person at all times, every moment till the day I die, then let's narrow the scope of who my neighbor is. Because perhaps if you give me some training wheels, you put some floaties on me, like if you make it a little easier, I might be able to do it. So who is my neighbor? He's desiring to justify himself in the eyes of Jesus. The reality is that in this time period, most Jewish people of the day only considered their neighbor to be other Jewish people. Okay, So already they're going to exclude most of the world, including the hated Romans, So this is going to make it a little easier. But some of the groups among the Jews, including the Essenes and the Pharisees, even further excluded certain Jews like prostitutes and tax collectors and people that broke Sabbath and on and on. And they whittled it down to where loving your neighbor could actually be somewhat manageable. And Jesus is going to obliterate their notion of neighboring. He does it through this story of the Good Samaritan. One of the most well-known stories in the Bible. In fact, uh, oftentimes watching the news, you know, the news anchors will say, hey, we've got a Good Samaritan story. And it's the story of somebody who stepped in to do something kind. We actually, in America, in all 50 states and Washington, D.C., we have Good Samaritan laws. This has been so incorporated as an idea into the fabric of our culture, and yet the point is so often lost on us. As to what Jesus was saying. So let's look again at the text. Luke 10 verse 30. I'm going to read 30 through 37 here. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the man said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. There are three characters in this story. And by the way, this is a, this is a parable. We, we know that by the way Jesus introduces it. This is not a news story. Jesus is telling a parable, a story that's intended to, to drive to a, a point. But in this parable, there are three main characters. First, a priest. The priest, this would have been a Jewish priest serving in the temple. These were men who were descendants of Moses' brother Aaron. So Aaron, the priesthood, comes through him. And they would make sacrifices in the temple. That's character number one. Character number two is a Levite. Levites are similar to priests. They trace their ancestry further back to Levi, one of the 12 tribes, a brother of Moses. So you've got Levites. And then more specifically, uh, from Levi's lineage, you have Aaron and those descendants are priests. So Levi is the big category. Priests is the small category. The Levites would assist the priest in the temple. The point is both of these men are religious leaders. The third man is quite the opposite. The third man, Jesus says, is a Samaritan. The Samaritans were an ethnic group that was looked down on by the Jews. In fact, they were most likely a part of the category that would have been excluded from being a neighbor to a Jew. 
And Jesus is going to use this Samaritan to be the hero of the story. The key word in all of the passage jumps out at us at the end of verse 33. The word is compassion. Compassion. The Greek, splachnitsamai. That's, that's a fun one, right? Splachnitsamai, right? It has the, the connotation of being deeply moved internally, but not just moved to a feeling, but moved to an action. Compassion. Here's the truth. We know nothing about the priest and the Levite in what they felt about the man on the side of the road. It is quite possible that as this priest and Levite walked by on the other side, they went, man, I feel so bad for that guy. Gosh, what a, what a terrible thing to have happen. To be robbed, to be beaten, to be stripped, to be left for dead. I really hope someone helps him. The priest and the Levite, in other words, may have been very sympathetic, but they stopped short of showing compassion. The opposite of compassion is not apathy. The opposite of compassion is inaction. Friends, I'll be honest with you. I struggle with this. <laughs> this week in my preparation was a struggle because sympathy is a very natural response for me. I am a naturally sympathetic person, but I often stop short of action. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something of the priest and the Levite that lives in my heart that I have a tendency to want to walk by on the other side of the road and say, like James said, people were guilty of in the early church, go, I wish you well, be warm and well-fed, but doing nothing about the need. So we're going to look at this from that perspective. We're going to look at this passage from the perspective of the priest and the Levite. I want to give you four justifications for inaction. And at the end of each one, I want to take an ax and just chop down the justification with truth. Okay? So four justifications in quotes, that are not justifications. Number one, compassion is often undeserved. It is often undeserved. It's possible that this priest and the Levite believed that the man's situation was avoidable. You know, he should have been with traveling companions and this wouldn't have happened. He should have been more guarded against an attack. Why wasn't he paying attention? He should have taken a different route or traveled at a different time of the day. In other words, if he had managed his situation better, he wouldn't be in the condition that he's in. In William's message last week, he talked about withholding judgment and extending grace, how prone we are to doing the opposite. Withholding grace, withholding compassion and extending judgment. I think this priest and this Levite perhaps could have had a lot of assumptions about why this man was laying on the side of the road. And the truth is, as we go about our lives and we see people who are down on their luck or we see people who are in bad situations, we see people who have hurts and hangups and habits that, that we think, man, they should do better. Could it be that we're not factoring in? We don't know their story. We don't know how they got where they are. See, people are like an iceberg. We, we see the very top part of that picture, but we don't see everything underneath it. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Right? We, we see the little bit. We see the response. We see the, the cutting us off on the 535 and giving us the finger. And I don't know why he did it. And it happened this week. Needed to vent that. But that's what we see. But we don't see the abuse, the abandonment. The lack of God, the hurtful words, 
the bullying, the internal struggle. It's going up on a down escalator and I can't, and, and we go, man, why can't that guy do better? Why is that girl like that? Have you ever wondered, man, what if I was dealt the hand they were dealt? Like, I don't know their story. Everybody's going through tough stuff. What, what if I had dealt with the abuse and the abandonment? I'm kind of screwed up and I had a really good upbringing, right? Like, what if we withheld judgment and we extended compassion? Three things that you need to know are true about every person you've ever met, every person you'll meet this week, every person you will ever meet. Number one, they're created in the image of God. Number two, they are loved by God. Number three, they are broken by sin, both their own and others. See, Jesus doesn't shy away from the sin issue, right? In fact, even the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, he stopped them from stoning her. And then remember he said, he said, go and sin no more. But Jesus tended to not come at people and go, you're sinners, you deserve condemnation. He tended to come at people and say, you've been broken by sin and I'm here to heal you. Healed of your own sin, that, that's, that's confession, that's stepping in and going, there's parts of my story that I illustrated my own downfall, like there, there's things I did to contribute, that's personal responsibility, but there's also part of our story that really was not our control, right? These are things that were done to us. And as one guy I know says, Satan doesn't fight fair. He hurts us most deeply when we're young. He hooks us in addiction when we're adolescent. He exposes us to things that we had no mental framework for dealing with. And all of a sudden, our lives take a direction. And could we start seeing people and going, compassion. I don't know your story, but I know that you are created by God in his image. I know that you're loved by God. And I know you're fighting a hard battle with sin in your life and with sin that has been done to you. Jesus modeled this for us. I love Romans 5 verses 6 through 8. And this is the message version. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were way too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, he wouldn't have, uh, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice, but God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use to him whatsoever. Jesus showed us undeserved compassion. Here's the truth that is going to obliterate this justification. God demonstrated compassion toward us by making a way of salvation that we did not deserve. Number two, compassion is messy. Did you know that? It's messy. I imagine this Samaritan in the story reaching down to the dirt to take hold of this man who had been beaten and left for dead. And as the Samaritan wraps his wounds, some of the man's blood gets on his own skin and clothes. As he lifts the man up from the ground to place him on his animal, beads of sweat begin to appear on his forehead. But the Samaritan isn't concerned with any of that. The dirt, the sweat, the blood, his only concern is for this other, another human being who needed him to care enough to stop and show compassion. It's messy. How different from the priest and the Levite. Again, in Jesus' story, both men pass on the other side and it begs the question, why would they do that? I want to submit to you one possibility. 
It actually comes from the law. Leviticus chapter 21, verses 10 and 11. This is a command for the very people who are passing by on the other side. The priest who is chief among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil is poured and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang uh, loose nor tear his clothes. He shall not go into any dead bodies nor make himself unclean, even for his own father and mother. The priest and the Levite had to remain ceremonially clean so that they could serve in the temple. And it could have just been that as they saw this man, that he appeared dead, they went, well, we can't touch him. In fact, we can't even go close enough to check it out because we could risk becoming unclean if we did. The great irony is that these religious leaders perhaps were afraid of becoming unfit to serve by helping the man. And Jesus is going to demonstrate that their unwillingness to help the man is what makes them unfit to serve. See, the Pharisees were a lot like some of us. They grew up in religion. They grew up in a hold-it-all-together-yourself righteousness. And they dotted all the I's and they crossed all the T's, but they neglected to do the very things that the law called for, to love God and love people. And Jesus will challenge them again and again that their unwillingness to enter the mess is causing them to miss the redemption for which they could have Jesus gives us an example of messy compassion. We're talking about someone who was born in a sheep stall in Bethlehem, who was surrounded throughout his life and ministry by people with physical disease and spiritual brokenness, ultimately betrayed and subjected to crucifixion. Jesus was not afraid of our mess. He entered it to show us compassion. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to get messy to save us? We cannot justify, ah, it's just messy. I don't have all the answers. I don't, I don't want to get dirty. I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't know what to do in step three. I don't want to, if I take step one, I'm going to get, I don't know how to get out. And Jesus is just going to go all in. The truth is this. Jesus did not save us from a distance. He immersed himself in the mess of human sickness and suffering in order to demonstrate God's compassion to us. Third justification. Compassion is costly. Compassion is costly. The other night I was laying in bed, and, uh, or not yet laying in bed, I think I was, um, I don't know, playing a game on my phone or something, and, and Nikki was working on her computer, and this happens pretty frequently. It happens specifically this past week, but it happens pretty frequently. She'll say, hey love, can you do me a favor? And like, I've already got the comforter pulled up over me. This isn't, this is like, like I have a routine, right? I'm like, sure. And she says, can you give me a cup of water? And I'm like, I don't want to get a cup of water. But I go, I'd love to get you a cup of water. And I throw the comforter off and go. And it's such a trivial thing, right? And it's like, man, if I struggle to walk 20 steps to the kitchen to serve my wife, compassion's costly. She's not here. Don't tell her that I shared this story. I want to invite you guys to consider the great lengths to which this Samaritan went to help the man. L let me just rehearse it quickly. 
This man set aside whatever reason he had for being on the road in the first place, right? There's a reason he was journeying. He set it aside. He gave him medical aid. He bandaged the man's wounds himself. He gave up his own animal, which means, guess what he's doing? He's walking the rest of the way. He stayed with the man. He continued caring for him through the night and into the following day. And not only did he sacrifice all of this time and energy for the man, but look again at verse 35. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Leave this up for just a second. I highlighted this for a reason. This is is huge. This is everything. The Samaritan did not determine how much he was willing to spend and apply it to the need. He determined how much need there was and supplied it from his account. This this is a game changer. Because what a lot of us do is, I'll give this much if we can fit the need in there, I'm up for it. The Samaritan said, whatever you spend, add it up, I'll pay it when I get back. What a picture of Jesus this is. pastor shared a story that I saw. It was floating around uh, the internet a couple years ago. He said he was in line at Chipotle, and there was uh, what appeared to be a homeless man in the line as well, or kind of waiting outside the line. And it was on a Sunday, so there were other people around, so he needed to be pastoral. So he invites the man and says, hey, why don't you jump in line and, and let me buy you a burrito? The guy says, man, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Thank you. He steps in line. And he gets the burrito bowl and he started, you know, they start piling it up and, and the guy's pastor's feeling pretty good about himself. And, and then the Chipotle worker asks this question that we've all been asked, do you want guacamole? And the guy says, yes, I would like guacamole. And then they ask the second question, you know, it's extra. Is that okay? The pastor's thinking, I'm buying this guy's meal. He's going to get the guacamole. Like what's going on here? The guy says, yeah, I love guacamole. Could you get me two extra? (laughs) And the pastor's like, man, are you kidding me? This guy's taking advantage of me. Like I'm buying him a burrito and he's getting the extra guac. And they get to the end and, and, you know, the pastor pays for the meal and the guy starts to move on. He turns back and the guy says, hey, thank you so much. And, And the pastor says, hey, anytime. And then the pastor said conviction came because he didn't do that with a genuine heart. He was counting it up. Man, it's $1.70, another $1.70. And Jesus didn't count it up. Jesus said, yeah, you want the extra guac? You take the extra guac, right? Like whatever it costs me, whatever is spent on my account, I'm going to cover it for you. Ephesians chapter one, verses seven and eight. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He lavished it. Jesus didn't go, I'm just, I'm going to give you just enough. I'm going to get you into heaven. He lavished his grace upon us. He gave up the treasures of heaven for us, paying the ultimate price so that we could experience redemption. Number four, this is the last one. Compassion is not always successful. You know, if you knew that, compassion isn't always successful. This may be the one that I struggle with the most. Because if I look at my history and and the stories of people that I've demonstrated compassion toward, the truth is very few of those have become success stories. I can't tell you the names of a lot of people that I've served or bought a meal for or, or gotten a night at the hotel or taken into the house or gone out of my way for that I can say, and now look at them. A lot of them I go, 
Yeah, they got about five miles down the road and they're laying on the side of the road again. They're not success stories. Some of us have started to think about compassion like we think about an investment, right? Like, is this a good investment? Like, if I demonstrate compassion, are they going to return the favor? Are they going to make something of themselves? You remember the conversation that Jesus and this lawyer had? It was all predicated on this idea that we first love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. This is how you deal with this issue. If this is a struggle for you, man, I don't want to make a bad investment. This is the anecdote. You're not doing it for the person. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And if you step into the middle of somebody's mess and it's costly and they don't go on to be successful, it is not wasted. You have the applause of heaven, the favor of God. You stepped in and did for them what he had done for you. If the other person is the primary motivation for our love, their success will become our primary concern. Our primary concern is the glory of God. Nothing is wasted if it's done for his glory. Many years ago, when Mother Teresa was still living, um, a U.S. politician went out to visit Calcutta and to visit and see the work that she was doing there. And after spending only a few days, said to Mother Teresa, he said, Mother Teresa, how do you do it? Every person you're caring for dies. And she said, oh, you're so mistaken about my work. She said, God has not called me to be successful. He has called me to be faithful. And what this Samaritan did, we don't know if it was successful. In fact, the story ends with the man still bandaged up and laying in an inn. The point is not what this guy went on to do or to be. The point is that there was a man who was faithful to show compassion and to love the man as a neighbor. This is where the great reveal comes in Jesus' story. It's not direct, but I think as I explain it, you'll see it. The great reveal is this. Neighbor is not a noun, it's a verb. Neighbor is not a noun, it's a verb. The man's going, give me the category and make it as exclusive as possible so I only have to love these people. Jesus says, who was a neighbor? The man says, well, I guess the one who showed mercy. Jesus says, yes, go and do that. In other words, we're the neighbor. So that everybody who comes into our path is our neighbor. And we neighbor them. Not a noun, but a verb. It's neighboring. Here's the truth. Jesus gave his life for people that would reject him. He said, compassion isn't always successful. Well, 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 if, but if God, no, 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 even, even for Jesus. You remember this guy Judas that he walked with for three years who betrayed him and abandoned him? You know that actually during Jesus' crucifixion, all but one of the disciples also abandoned him? Do you know as they went out trying to flesh out the mission that God had given for them, they, they fought and they bickered and they parted ways at times and they, Jesus didn't save us to be successful. He saved us by his mercy. And he gave his life even for ones that would reject him. We're going to close with this question. Who is the person that God has placed in your path? And I want to give you just one slight warning at the risk of giving you an escape clause. Please don't see it that way. Not everyone in the world is in your path. 
Okay? We, we live in a day and age where we're exposed to the, the trauma and the hurts and the, the difficulties and the issues everywhere in the world. But what we can't do is go, it's all just too much. I'm just not going to worry about it. We got to do something. Who is in your path? Why did you happen to see this thing that no one else saw? Why did you happen to cross into the life of this person at this time? Why is this person your sister, your brother, your family member? Who is in your path? And maybe it's someone who doesn't deserve your compassion. Maybe it's a situation you know is going to be messier or more costly than you want it to be. Maybe it's somebody that you're convinced is going to find themselves in another ditch in just a few miles. But they're in your path, and I want you to hear the words of Jesus. I want us to hear the words of Jesus at the end of the story. Go and do likewise. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.